Well, this is uh, Grant's Interest Rate Observer of the Year. I'm Jim Grant, and uh, we had been away, but now we're back. And Eric Whitehead is back at the controls. Phil Grant, the editor of Almost Daily Grants, the not almost, but uh, immediately uh, must-read daily briefing on the markets. And uh, directly across from me is the great Evan Lorenz, deputy editor of Grants. So uh, we've been away for a couple of weeks, and I think that uh, we owe you an explanation. Well, we've, we've taken uh, some um, mid-semester vacations around here. Now, uh, Eric Whitehead, to my left, chose to um, visit Vietnam. Now, before, Eric and his family went to uh, communist Cuba. Now, they went to communist Vietnam. And I, I know from looking over his shoulder, his computer, that he has booked a flu season reservation at the uh, Pyongyang Days Inn next February. Enjoy, enjoy it, Eric. As for me, I've got to confess that um, Patricia and I, my wife Patricia and I, Dr. Kavanaugh, and I took a, um, a cruise, yeah, a cruise to New Zealand and Australia. Where we, in Australia, we talked some grants readers. It was, it was lovely. But I think that I owe you, the listeners to this grants podcast, an explanation of how it came to be that my wife and I went on this bull market jaunt, like 17 days at, uh, in supreme luxury. I mean, it's, it's almost indefensible, but we had a good time. James Crichton, are you listening? James is a, is a listener ordinarily, and he wants to know what I'm reading. Why? I don't know, but he does. So on the cruise, James, I read uh, Flaubert's Madame Bovary, a fabulous novel, and I read uh, a biography of Charles James Fox, the uh, 18th century uh, English parliamentarian, a great guy, a very funny, incidentally, and uh, a great uh, exponent of liberty. So that's what I did in the cruise. Now, eight. All right. So we are back. And uh, that means, Evan Lorenz, that we're back to worrying about things that other people don't. We are going to hear uh, presently from uh, two very thoughtful people from Amherst Pierpont Securities. And uh, these two gentlemen will, will talk about the markets in a way that uh, will ought to, ought to soothe the uh, anxieties of uh, people who have been looking at some credit spreads widening slightly. But uh, Evan, I, I can't help but notice, I know you have noticed, that for all of the rising interest rates in this country, the dollar can't seem to get out of its own way. That is to say, against other fiat currencies, what goes on? Yeah, and uh, the dollar just can't get a bid. Nobody seems to want it. Well, that's not true. If Okay, let me ask you. So you're walking down the street, right? And you spot a, what, $20 bill on the sidewalk. Are you going to pick it up? Uh, I actually went to the University of Chicago, which is the uh, proponent of the efficient market hypothesis. Uh, so so it, it wouldn't be there. It right? wouldn't exist. Yeah, right. Well, I'm not so sure the dollar is bidless. But it is a curiosity that uh, our rate rises seem to have had such little effect to date on uh, the exchange rate of the dollar, although uh, one alternative monetary asset um, is bidless against the dollar, and that is to say gold bullion, and especially gold mining stocks. They are in a kind of liquidation, which is to me very curious, and, uh, and as a holder of the aforementioned gold mining stocks, extremely irksome and annoying. But uh, you know what? I forgot to mention until this very moment, I forgot to mention two of our advertisers for this edition of Grants. And uh, they are, respectively, Zip Recruiter. And I'll get around to Zip Recruiter in a second. But uh, the other is uh, something near and dear, which is the Grants Spring Conference. We have two investment conferences a year, and we have spring and fall. Spring one is coming up on April 10th at the Plaza Hotel in Manhattan. A very, very plus setting. Also kind of bull marketish, actually, if you ask me, which you might. Uh, but it's going to, I think it's going to, Phil, what do you think? Great day? Uh, yes, that's, okay. that's uh, right. Eric, 
Good, huh? He yep. agrees. Yep. He agrees. Uh, and Evan, will you go? Oh, I wouldn't yep. miss it. All right. So we got to Howard Marks. We have Michael Novogratz with Boaz Weinstein, uh, London Whale as Boaz, and his previous uh, incarnation. We have, uh, I don't know, we, here's, here's something. We have, we have uh, a Kai Stinchcomb, who was actually a podcast guest a while ago. And Kai is of the belief uh, that uh, Bitcoin is a technology in search of an application, right? He thinks it's uh, like, it's not going to change everything. It's going to change the uh, investing patterns, the Bitcoin bulls. That's that's uh, all it's going to change. And, and and we have on the other side of that issue, we have Michael Novogratz, who is putting his money where his mouth is, and he think he's starting the Goldman Sachs of cryptocurrency, so he says. We have John Hamburger, who is a very terrific uh, commentator on, of all things, restaurant finance. We have Dean Cornut on risk. David Rosenberg on, uh, on bear markets, of which we have uh, very few, all too few in the world, Brian Beach. And we have Jim Grant on saxophone. No. I'll be playing interest rates. Speaking probably. Yeah, speaking too. But it's going anyway. So that's that's that uh, kind of long-winded ad. So you have to come to the conference. And uh, to come to the conference, what do you do, Eric? Just uh, email, right? Yeah. Website. Yes, uh, Grant's uh, website. We have one, right? Yeah. Okay. Go to the Grant's website and sign up. It's a must. Yeah, watch it on the web too. Yeah, that's right. You don't have to come, although you should because of the uh, the scintillating. Uh, uh, lunchtime conversation. And the lunch, too, itself. And lunch, yeah. Lunch is free. Zip Recruiter, are you hiring, posting your position to job sites and waiting and waiting for the right people to see it? Well, Zip Recruiter knows there is a smarter way, and uh, so it built a platform that finds the right job candidates for you. Evan, that's you. The invitations have revolutionized how you find your next hire. In fact, 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. And ZipRecruiter does not stop there. They even spotlight the strongest applications you receive, so you never miss a great match. The right candidates are out there, and ZipRecruiter is how you find them. So businesses of all size trust ZipRecruiter for their hiring needs. Just right now, my listeners, our listeners, uh, can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, F-R-E-E. Just go to ZipRecruiter. Well, it is a sharing economy, right? Free is kind of the thing, yeah. So just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash grant. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash grant. ZipRecruiter.com slash grant. ZipRecruiter.com slash grant. The smartest way to hire. So up next, um, I, don't know, I think they're almost on the phone right now. In fact, I think I can hear the phone ringing. We, we soon will have uh, Stephen Stanley, who's the chief economist of uh, Amherst Pierpont Securities, uh, which is the primary dealer of the Federal Reserve, and um, and his colleague uh, uh, Zav Negroni, who, uh, who co-heads the Amherst Pierpont Finance Desk. And they know more about interest rates than um, anybody, just about. Uh, a lot certainly about the short end and about the spreads that have, among other people, zero hedge exercised. So uh, Zav and Steve, welcome. So begin with, um, gentlemen, did anything come to light yesterday in uh, uh, Chairman Powell's first uh, appearance for Congress that makes you think any differently about the market than you might have thought the day before? Well, Jim, I, I think the market had a couple of responses to, uh, to Chairman Powell's testimony. I think the first one is that he came across as a little more hawkish than people expected. And I think it probably is more fair to say that he's less dovish. Um, I think there was a widespread view in the markets, which I didn't necessarily agree with, but there was a widespread view in the markets that Powell was going to be kind of a clone of Yellen, um, who, of course, was extremely dovish. And I think what we heard yesterday led people to come to the view that Powell is his own man and that, in fact, he may be much more middle of the road than what we've grown accustomed to from our last two Fed chairs. I think the other 
thing that people, you know, this is the first time that people really got a chance to listen to Chairman Powell and to kind of weigh him. Um, and and I, I think people were pretty impressed. I think he came across as intelligent, having a, a good grasp of the issues. I thought he did a nice job of kind of commanding the, the hearing. He didn't he, he didn't allow himself to be drawn into a lot of the political arguments that aren't really very germane to the Fed. And so I think he came across as someone who's very competent, likely to be decisive and, he and seem, he seems pretty to be serious. A, a native in English speaker, too. I didn't hear a lot of econometric mumbo-jumbo from him, which is, uh, we at Grants... Yeah, and he, yeah, he, he even took a little sideways shot at economists yeah, in the Q&A. Excellent, yes. We don't need so many, quite so many economists at the yeah. Fed, which, I, as an economist, believe it or not, I happen to agree with. Yeah, well, we at Grants have, uh, shall we say, mixed views about the PhD standard of arbitrary discretionary monetary management, so we're all in favor of fewer economists. Hey, um, Save, would you talk to us about some of these uh, credit spreads? Phil Grant, who edits our almost daily grants has been uh, observant, as I know you have been, about uh, spreads between, say, the funds rate and two-year and uh, some widening in the LIBOR overnight index swap spread, meaning, I guess, LIBOR versus funds, which sounds to me a little bit like the old TED spread. Uh, what do you make of the world of spreads? Any information here we should know about? Sure. I think, look, for starters, we've always believed quite strongly that uh, there are lots of spreads you can look at. I think, generally speaking, we try to focus on the relationship of LIBOR to OIS because it means a few things. But but we also try to look um, really at either LIBOR to repo or more generically secured funding to repo, and or I should say uh, unsecured funding to repo. Well, are these, then, are these, course, do these express uh, credit risk as perceived in the market, or is it something else? They definitely have a mix of each. And so I think that the easiest one to talk about is, you know, is a LIBOR versus, uh, really, quite frankly, LIBOR versus anything at this stage. Let's start with the basics of LIBOR versus OIS, and we can even throw repo in there. And I think, generally speaking, there's three pretty loud things to talk about in the context of credit. I think if you dial back, you don't have to go too, too far back to recognize how normalized the environment was uh, when you thought of these spreads. And quite frankly, that was as much a symptom of absolute low interest rates as it was of quantitative easing and the excess cash. And I think we got a really interesting taste of what could be happening in LIBOR toward the very end of November and into December uh, with uh, LIBOR's grinding higher and also the currency swap, indicating that there was some element of, of dollar necessity and a, and a scarcity of dollars. I think when we got over year end, that started to change. And what people realized is that dollar scarcity that was presenting in the cross-currency markets was really going to present itself more in just the rudimentary basic LIBOR markets where those issuers and investors having to think about repatriation events. Overwhelmingly, what we saw was uh, issuers having a little more difficulty trying to price and find that next marginal investor. And so that manifests itself by absolute higher LIBOR settings and as well as uh, absolute wider CP spreads to LIBOR. And even through the first two months of the year, you see phenomenon of very strong, healthy issuers, A1 P1 type issuers issuing in a fixed rate basis, say for six or nine months, and that uh, interpolated spread um, day over day or week over week is is wider by three, five, seven basis. And we see the same phenomenon, albeit a little less so, on the floaters where uh, six, nine month floaters in commercial paper or short credit, uh, as LIBOR is had been rising, those spreads were also wider. We're talking to yeah. 
We're talking to uh, Zav Negroni and uh, Steve Stanley. Now, Zav, uh, a lot of this stuff, frankly, sounds very inside baseball, away from the uh, the technical side of the money market business and the primary dealer market business in which you operate. Uh, is there any information here or any cautionary amber lights that uh, a general investor ought to be aware of? I, I think that's a, uh, you know, I think we try to think of things through the lens of how it's going to impact our clients. And to that, to that end, we think this is, you know, really just just a chance for opportunistic behavior. From an investor perspective, finally, now that we're off a zero interest rate policy and substantial, you can start to see the money markets themselves and the different asset classes, commercial paper, short credit, all the other types of bank liabilities, repo and treasury bills, they can all coexist and have nice relationships to one another where you can actually speak intelligently about what the risk and rewards are. And investors have choices. Insofar as they want to stay substantially short and super low risk, they have treasury bills that they can choose from. Of course, if they're eligible at the Fed uh, in their Fed reverse repo program, they can invest there. And so investors have lots of choices. We think that's a relatively powerful uh, uh, event for investors. So is, is financial repression going away? And if so, uh, is price discovery coming in? And if so, uh, where is the sweet spot in the money market to earn an extra increment of yield? Sure. And I think, you know, I think what many participants were surprised about was the speed with which LIBOR has ascended, as well as the speed with which spreads widen, be it LIBOR OIS or the forward derivative markets of the same. And I think we're kind of at that point where at 40 basis points spread between LIBOR OIS, you're starting to see the forward markets contemplate that spread contracting. And so what you find is that investors are getting a comfort level that, that they found, or I should say issuers are getting a comfort level that they found the next marginal investor, and investors do have choices. And so we think it's constructive uh, in many senses for uh, investors and for issuers. Um, absolute size of the commercial paper market and you know its sister markets in CDs and the like have, have grown in absolute terms over the past three or four months, thus giving investors more choice. So is this adding up to more opportunities in the very humble class? of investment called the money market mutual fund or, you know, is this... Uh... I think that's exactly right because what ends up happening is, you know, from a 30,000 foot perspective, the idea of three and six month issuance from a wholesale liability perspective doesn't make a ton of sense for lots of different people. Regulators aren't crazy about that institutions shouldn't necessarily fund themselves. But for this, this large amount of investing class that look for different assets, they have real opportunities to enter the market and get good risk return. Zev, what exactly is a good risk return? Uh, like, what kind of yields are we talking about? And what what might yields do if uh, the Fed does hike another three or four times? Sure. So, and I think that's the you know that's one of the beauties of the of the kind of mechanics of the short market. Floaters are, are arguably more sought after than fixed rates. Um, you know, we see, for example, single. Uh, A1, P1 issuers today, foreign A1, P1 issuers today in the six and nine month space issue on LIBOR basis, one month LIBOR plus 10, one month LIBOR plus 20, in some cases one month LIBOR plus 25. It is a little issuer dependent. And so for, for such a high quality investment, with such certainty around repayment, that's actually a pretty attractive return. So LIBOR is what nowadays? 
Uh, right now, three-month LIBOR just set a little bit over 2%, and one-month LIBOR somewhere around the one and five-eighths level. So uh, you know, kind of two, one and three-quarters to two to two and a quarter, kind of looking yields for the for money market investors. And, and recognizing that that slope between one-month and three-month and that basis overall is relatively steep means as those one-month LIBORs reset and the Fed does deliver on its hikes, for example, in March and possibly in June, et cetera, those absolute yields are are higher. We did see, for example, fixed rate issuance in high quality names in the six month for commercial paper around 210 and 215 all in rate. Uh, Azev, to try to tie together two things you said. Earlier you said that um, it was getting expensive to swap uh, dollars into other currencies, which uh, happened at the end of the year. And it seems, at least according to the Wall Street Journal, to be driving some um, you know Japanese and European borrowers out of the treasury market. And at the same time, you said uh, it's costing a little bit more for these foreign issuers to actually borrow in the, the U.S. dollar market. Market. They're having to pay up a little bit over LIBOR. Um, what is this doing to the, the supply and demand of uh, foreign money coming into the U.S.? And like, what does it mean for investor uh, foreign investors coming to the U.S. market? To try to look at the push-pulls of the money market could certainly be uh, consuming just because there are so many different ways money can come into the market. Um, it's a little easier often to put your hands around the supply. But, but the direct answer to your question that we found is that in November, December, there was a little bit of scarcity once we got through year-end, even though pricing power was in the investor hand, uh, we did see more and more cash come in. You've heard more thematically of buy programs that have entered in the intermediate and long end space. And we wouldn't suggest that there are really big buy programs in the front end, but thematically the same thing can happen and the same thing does happen where uh, either some level of seasonals, some level of investors that had been investing longer are doing more shorter dated investments and that puts them squarely in the money market. So thus far, it's a a healthy exchange of investment dollars and investment assets. And uh, we wouldn't suggest based on the indicators that there is stress or in any way, shape or form or shortage. I've got got just one more to to Stephen uh, turning back to the Fed, um, just a kind of a, a broad level uh, assessment of, um, of of the inflation environment and and your uh, ex- expectation for 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 the Fed's um, path this year. Do you think that that you know, I think Powell kind of hinted yesterday that that four hikes this year might be in the cards. Do you do you do you see that as likely, Stephen, or, or no? I do. I, I mean, I've, I've had four hikes for this year as my forecast for a while, and certainly I think. People are starting kind of joining onto that bandwagon more so. You know, Powell obviously wasn't explicit about that yesterday, but certainly suggested that the risks around the the Fed's projections have shifted since December, the last time that they gave us formal growth and, and policy projections, um, not only because of the strong economic data, the, the firmer inflation data, but also because of the, the tax reform that passed in December, which was just after the Fed's last uh, that December meeting where they gave us their last set of projections. And, and I think that could very well be a game changer for the economy. I think it could certainly uh, push growth significantly higher. Could you explain that, uh, how interest rates could actually uh, push the growth higher. The, the, the bond bulls and some of the smartest out there are uh, Hoisington Asset Management have argued that there's so much debt in the economy that if the Fed increases rates a little bit, it's actually great for bonds because it'll squash activity and then yields will fall down again. Uh, I'd love to see how it could actually boost activity. Yeah, I, I think that, um, well, I, I would say to that, I mean, I think directly, I, I, my argument would be that I don't think the economy is all that sensitive to modest movements in rates. Uh, the level of interest rates are quite low. And 
you know, certainly the the household side of the, of the country's balance sheet is in is in very good shape. I, I think the main issue that I would point to in terms of the tax reform program is that it's very investment friendly. Uh, between the lowering of marginal corporate tax rates and the the, the more generous depreciation schedules you know, moving to a territorial system, everything points toward more investment, you know, in the global competition for production and investment. The the U.S. should be uh, able to compete better and, and should draw in more capital. Uh, and so I think you, you would expect to see a pickup in growth this year relative to what we've seen in past years. And hopefully, if that investment is deployed efficiently, then, then we should start to see a little bit better productivity growth. And so I think this, you know, the kind of the Secular stagnation story is is going to be severely tested. I think if if indeed we do get strong investment, because my guess is that productivity growth will start to pick up a little bit and move back toward uh, longer run. Hey, Zoff, what happens if the stock market steps in front of a bus, say it's down twenty percent? Uh, do you still see so many Fed hikes in the future? And if the Fed does yield to its uh, unspoken duty to uh, shepherd the stock market higher, what does that do to faith in the confidence, uh, the confidence or faith in the U.S. dollar and in the stewards of that dollar? Yeah, the Fed I think has been uh, far too sensitive to market rates over the last several years. You certainly you can look back to the summer of 2015 to the beginning of 2016, two examples where we got a hiccup in the market and the Fed basically panicked and said, okay, we're not going to move for another six months. And I was actually quite encouraged that the Fed was willing, uh, the Fed held its nerve over the last month or so, you know, when the stock market uh, hiccuped at the beginning of this month. Rather than panicking, the Fed was very calming, I thought, and suggested that it was not likely to have a big impact on the on the broad economic Right, but that, that, was, that was or, just Dudley saying stuff. I mean, how was he supposed to know that it was down just a little bit? Right. I mean, he was guessing like everybody else. Well, that's that's right. I mean, you know, certainly if we if we were to see a bigger uh, adjustment at some point, then that starts to, I think, change the way that the Fed looks at things. But hopefully the Fed is is growing somewhat less sensitive to that than they proved to be uh, uh, in past years. Well, it is to be hoped. Well, thank you, uh, Steve Stanley. And uh, thank you, Zev Negroni, for being here. And uh, I don't know. Thank you, Evan. Of course, you got to be here. You work here. Phil, same with you. And Eric. I'm glad to see you're back from the latest communist country vacation spot. And uh, we'll talk to you uh, in a week. So uh, thank you for uh, from Grant's Interest Rate Observer of the Air. I'm Jim Grant, and we will talk at you real soon. 